Welcome to the California Quest. This is Matt Plummer, and in today's debate, we are asking the question, should the California Superintendent of Public Instruction be an elected position, as it currently is, or an appointed position, as Kevin McCarthy, the Democratic Assembly member, would like it to be, and is proposing an amendment to the Constitution, the state Constitution, that would change it to an appointed position. So right now, Tony Thurman is the Superintendent of Public Instruction, he is elected to his second four-year term. You can serve up to two terms. ACA 9 would change that such that the governor would be able to appoint the superintendent of public instruction and decide who it would be and how long they would serve. Before we jump into the case for this change and the case against it, let's first look at what does the superintendent of public instruction actually do? Well, the SPI, as it's called, uh, oversees the California Department of Education. So about 2,500 people who are implementing policy set forth by the Assembly and Senate, the Governor, and the State Board of Education. So interestingly, the Superintendent of Public Instruction doesn't actually get to make decisions around policy. In fact, there's a long list of things that they don't have control over, and I'm just going to read a few of those. So they don't make law regarding education. They don't have legal authority in terms of being an educational uh, law court. They don't control the budget. They don't control policy. They don't control textbooks. They don't certify teachers. They don't control facilities. They don't rescue schools if they're failing. They don't do turnarounds, though there is a little caveat to that. And they don't oversee the colleges. So this role is largely operational and administrative. Basically, the policies are set by other bodies, the governor, the legislature, and the State Board of Education, and they implement it. And it's worth noting that a large portion of the California educational system is actually governed by local school boards and local school districts, not the state. So that brings us to a question, the question of should this be an elected position or an appointed position? Let's run through the case for and the case against. So the case for moving this to an appointed position. They don't really have any leadership anyway, so why bother electing them? Number two, if it was an appointed position, they would work better with the governor and there'd be more seamless coordination so they'd be able to implement and execute more efficiently. Number three, this would be a more qualified person if it wasn't a political position because people who wouldn't be running for it who want to increase their political status, instead the governor could appoint someone with the requisite expertise. And number four, here's the argument that people actually don't really know what this position does and who is running for it, and so they aren't making informed decisions anyway. And so why give them the opportunity to vote for another thing if they're really not going to know who they should pick? All right, the case against. First, taking the vote away from uh, people is, is not really a popular thing to do in a democratic republic, a government, and it removes voice from parents and those who are participating in the education system to have a voice in determining some level of leadership within that uh, governmental system. Second is that it could impact what's known as the bully pulpit. So that is the one thing that the SPI, or Superintendent of Public Instruction, can do, is they can use their bully pulpit to basically elevate certain issues, to you know prompt uh, legislatures to engage on certain issues and propose certain bills. And so they can use that to varying degrees of effectiveness to influence, not control, but influence educational policy. And number three, 
potentially having a superintendent of public instruction who opposes some things that are coming down from the governor or the board of education could obstruct, slow down, or even block or thwart some of the governor's agenda. Now, depending on what you feel about the governor's agenda at any given point in time, that may be a plus or minus, but this is basically arguing for the case for a more checks and balances there. Okay, so those are the case for and the case against. Let's now jump into a few quotes from people on both sides that can really help us understand you know, why uh, different folks and different parties are arguing for this. So first up in the case four, we have Kevin McCarty who is proposing ACA 9 to change this into appointed position. What he says is that right now the role is nothing more than an education cheerleader. And then he goes on to say, however, public schools deserve more than a voice. ACA 9 would allow the next governor to appoint a new SPI to work in tandem and coordinate public education matters more effectively at the state level. Now this is kind of interesting, his last point about coordinating better is one that we just discussed and that totally makes sense. However, this conversation around, well, this person is basically an education cheerleader, but they need more than a voice, uh, doesn't really make sense because changing it to an appointed position would probably diminish the voice anyway, and so it's hard to say how this would help them be more than a voice. Okay, someone else, uh, Heather Hu, who is the Executive Director of Policy Analysis, on California education at a Stanford University Research Center. She says that, I think the pandemic really brought into view for the public in a way that it wasn't before, how there isn't a lot of positional authority in that role. Basically, SPI can't really do that much. Uh, which then does call the question, she says, why do we have an elected official if that position doesn't have the ability to lead associated with it? The way it's constructed in California now, it's largely an administrative position. Megan Basagalupi, who is the executive director of California Parent Power, sorry if I mispronounced uh, your name there, um, is a, a statewide parent advocacy group. And here's where it gets really interesting. So Megan actually supports this amendment to move it to an appointed position. She says, it makes sense for that position to be someone who has been appointed by the governor and is pushing forward the governor's education agenda and is not someone that is butting heads and isn't in lockstep with the governor thereby you know, creating a better guarantee of wide-scale change. So this is fascinating to me uh, for a number of reasons. One, you would think as a parent advocacy group, you would actually want to have a voice in choosing that person versus allowing the governor to do it. Uh, and also, honestly, California education policy hasn't been uh, you know, super popular over the last few years. Four in 10 Californians think that education has gotten worse over the last few years. And half of parents say that they would um, prefer to move their kids to private or religious schools if they didn't have to worry about cost or location. And so the idea that, you know, removing any obstruction to the governor's agenda is something that a parent advocacy group is advocating for is, is really strange to me. Megan also says that, you know, it's often filled by people who are using it as a stepping stone instead of people with a proven track record. And that makes, you know, complete sense, though. Is that what has actually played out here? Tony Thurman was in the, uh, you know, California legislature. He was on a school board previously. He definitely had some education experience. You could argue the extent to which that that was super robust. Marshall Tuck, who was somebody who ran against him in previous elections, had tons of experience, was the head of a big charter school in California, and then appointed to a task force over the Los Angeles schools. And so uh, it does appear that many of the people who are vying for this position do have you know, at least a, a decent resume when it comes to educational experience. So that takes us to the last argument, which is basically, do people actually know anything about this position? 
Heather Hugh mentioned earlier, oversaw a poll that found that 44% of voters didn't know how well Tony Thurman was performing as the current superintendent of public instruction, while 33% approved of his performance. Now, this is fascinating to me because Tony Thurman just won re-election and he got 62.5% of the vote compared to Lance Christensen's 37.5%. Now, that is a big margin just on its face, but what's more interesting is that it's even bigger than most of, if not all of the other statewide uh, races. And so the governor's race, attorney generals, treasurer, controller, those were more in the 60 to 30 or 58 to 42 range. And somehow for superintendent of public instruction at a time when most Californians are not happy with the, you know, the education that's being provided to their kids and not happy with what was happening during the COVID lockdowns, he scores a higher vote percentage than even the other, uh, you know, Democratic candidates who are running in the statewide elections this past year. And so that does suggest to me that people were not necessarily in touch with who this is and what, you know, what, what influence this person had. At the same time, if you look in past elections, they have been super close. Marshall Tuck, who I mentioned earlier, you know, lost by two percentage points in 2018. And then uh, in 2014, also lost by about five percentage points. And so they have been really close in the past and millions of dollars have been invested in some of those campaigns. And so in past years, there have been a lot of attention on this, maybe for some of the wrong reasons, but there has been a lot of attention. People have been paying attention and the votes have been super close. So this past election, uh, when it comes to the SPI, might just be a bit of an anomaly. Okay, so that gives you some color of the case for this, of moving it to an appointed position. Uh, when it comes to the case against, I want to share a few quotes here that also unpack, you know, who is actually against this, who wants it to remain an elected position. And one that you might be surprised about, which I am as well, is that the California Teachers Association, the one of the two teachers unions in the state, they haven't declared an official position on it. But their spokesperson just said that they have opposed similar attempts in the past uh, because they are not wanting to take the, that choice away from parents and voters. Now, this is surprising to me. You know, I would expect them to want it to be an appointed position. However, it's possible that they feel they can have more influence as a teachers union on an election than on a governor making an appointment. And so, you know, we know that they spend millions and hundreds of millions of dollars on uh, campaigns throughout um, the election cycle. And so this might be a way for them to continue to influence that is by, you know, supporting a candidate for superintendent of public instruction. It's a little unclear why exactly they would be supporting this. So a few other voices who are saying that they wanted to remain in an elected position. Connie Leva, uh, who's a former Democratic state senator and is interested in running for SBI. So in 2026, so, it, you know, it makes sense that she would want this to remain an elected position. She says, in a time when we need more civic engagement and need to strengthen democracy, why would we take an elected position and make it appointed? It makes no sense to me. I always feel that appointments lend themselves to be rife with political favoritism. Now, this is interesting, and it's the counter to the idea that uh, on, on the case four that people are using it as a political stepping stone and that if you remove that, then you'll have more qualified appointments. And so here we also can question, well, do our governor and our leaders appoint people that are qualified or are they appointing people as political favors or or thanks for you know other things that have been done in the past that's an obviously a bigger topic but it's something certainly worth considering if you're worried about talent and which of these two yields the better talent okay 
Delane Easton, who was a state superintendent from 1995 to 2003, also opposes this, maybe not surprising. And uh, what she says is, if any constitutional officer should be elected other than the governor, it should be the superintendent of public instruction. I really do believe that the superintendent needs to be somebody who is a voice for the children and their education and not just going along to get along with the governor. So she's making that case that we don't actually want it to be seamless coordination between these two. We want there to be a separate voice that's representing the kids, the parents, and uh, rather than just representing the governor's interest. And so depending, again, on how you feel about a governor's interest or how you feel about the balance of powers currently, that would be an argument that you might support. So, but the question is, can, you know, if the superintendent of public instruction does disagree with what the governor is doing or the board of education, can they actually have any impact and really slow or block that? Well, Michael Kirst, who served on the state board of education from 1975 to 82, and then again for eight years during Jerry Brown's second gubernatorial stint, he says that it's crucial for the governor and the superintendent of uh, public instruction to see eye to eye. He said the tension between the two offices has stalled education policy. I've seen that movie and it isn't pretty. Okay, so he's asserting that, yes, the SBI can actually do things to slow down, to block, to thwart the agenda of the governor. Whether you want that to be the case, that depends on how you feel about the governor's agenda or as you think forward, how you could feel about a future governor's agenda. Because again, this isn't just deciding it for right now. It's changing the constitution in a way that would affect things on an ongoing basis. So I would love to hear what you think about ACA 9. Should the superintendent of public instruction be an elected position or an appointed one? Parents would love to hear what you think. I'd love to also hear like how closely did you follow the 2022 race? Did you know Tony Thurman and Lance Christensen and what they stood for? Or was that kind of getting to the ballot day and making a last minute choice? Let's stay tuned to this as we see it play out. Thanks for joining.